Well, happy Sunday morning. My name is Pastor Ransom Kent, and I'm thankful that you're joining us online. We continue in our series in Galatians. This morning, we're going to be studying Galatians 6, verses 1 through 10. I'll be reading that to you from the English Standard Version of the Bible. So if you would like to follow along, uh, turn there now. Again, Galatians 6, 1 through 10. That's where we will be studying this morning. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any tra transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows in his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then... As we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Lord, through technology and over distance, we gather together to worship you. We have sung songs this morning. We have confessed our sins we have heard the scriptures read, and I pray, Lord, in this time, as your word and the gospel is preached, that you would reach our hearts. Help us to hear what you want us to hear. Help us to take away from this message the things you need to challenge us on, the things you need to encourage us in. And I pray in this crazy, unprecedented time that you would continue to draw your people close to yourself and close to one another, even though we cannot be together this morning. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I've been working with uh, one of our elders, Mark Sloan, on uh, bringing process and organization to the, uh, the care efforts we do as a church. We are good at caring for one another, but we are trying to organize that more. One example of that is we currently are running our first beta of what we call a care team. Uh, so someone who is in a situation that requires long-term care uh, is from a church perspective. Uh, we have one of those teams up and running now. A lot of the care measures that we've passed on to life groups uh, throughout this uh, coronavirus crisis has come from the work that Mark has been doing, and I'm just thankful for him. One of the things he has continued to say as a quotation throughout this time to me and to others as we've been trying to remember why we are organizing this care effort has been this quote. I don't know where he got it from, uh, but I'm going to quote it. Uh, and he, one of the things he keeps saying is there is a bag of rocks in every pew. This morning, to make it more relevant, we might even say there is a bag of rocks in every living room. What does that mean? What is he talking about? What is the person he's quoting talking about? The idea is this. We all have burdens. We all have sin issues. Some of us are trying to hide those sin issues. And as we hide those sin issues, the burden becomes greater. Some of us have health issues, sometimes serious, sometimes not. Some of us have relational issues. Some of us have anxiety and fear. 
Some of us, our, our parenting is a burden to us. Some of us, as we think about this coronavirus weirdness that we're in, we think, how is this going to end? What's it going to be like after? And that can cause a burden. And so what's the point? The point is, there's a bag of rocks in every pew. What that means is you may come in looking happy, and you may come in looking like you have your stuff together, and it may look like you have no problems, but what is the reality? What's our reality? And the way I put it is, while many of us look like shiny, happy people on a Sunday morning, none of us are truly that. What's the truth? We all have burdens. They vary in size. They vary in uh, the longevity of those burdens. But the reality is we all have them. We all have burdens. And so I want two responses, two responses from you all this morning. There's two responses in your heart that I want. The first one is agreement. I want you to agree that we all have burdens. Let's get real. Let's get real about this. You personally have burdens in your life, burdens that you bear. We are afflicted by burdens. It's the common human experience. And listen, what we can't do, and this is commonplace, I think, we can't compare our burdens to others, meaning, well, look what they have to deal with, and because of what they have to deal with, that, doesn't, that means my burden is not really a burden. I want you to stop comparing burdens. I want you to look at your burdens, and I say, behold, your burdens. They're very burdening. And in fact, if you look at 1 Peter 5, famous passage, what does he say in there? Cast all your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. And what he means in there, and what he's talking about, he even goes on to say, listen, the, the sufferings that you have are shared by all the brothers. And what the point here for Peter is, listen, <clears throat> What burdens you is a burden. What burdens you particularly is a burden. So we can't compare and say, well, that person's burden is worse than mine, so mine technically isn't. <clears throat> no, if your burden burdens you in any way, it is a burden. So the scriptures say. So that's the first thing. I want you to agree, yes, yes, I have a burden. The second thing I want you to do, <clears throat> I want you to ask this question in your heart. What can we do about it? Okay, we're a church, we're collected and gathered together. We all bring a bag of rocks with us. What can we do about that? And that question is answered by Paul in this passage. Paul is very conversational in this passage. He's been conversational throughout Galatians. He sticks things in here and there, and it's not really a well-organized theological document. It's more of a conversational letter. But in here, in this passage, <clears throat> he answers that question. What can we do about it? He gives two commands in this passage. One is in verses 1 through 5, and the second is in verses 6 through 10. The first command is bear one another's burdens. He gives us the command. He gives us a basis. Why should you bear one another's burdens? How should you bear one another's burdens? And then he gives an example. And it's the same thing, the same format with, with 6 through 10. And the command in that portion of the scripture is, do not grow weary doing good. And through those two commands, through those structures, he answers the question, what can we do about this thing? The fact that we all have burdens. We all have struggles. Start with me in verse 2. Here we have this first command. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So what is bearing a burden? 
What is bearing a burden? Bearing, this word bearing means to endure something unpleasant or difficult. So you can do that on your own. You can also do that with a partner or, or a multitude of people. But bearing means to come up under this something and to endure it even though it's unpleasant and even though it's difficult. And what's a burden? It's a great word. You can add this to your vocabulary. A burden is an onerous weight. What is onerous? It means an oppressively burdensome weight. So bearing burdens means to uh, endure something unpleasant and this unpleasant thing you're enduring is other people's weights that they cannot handle themselves. I kind of want to take a side note here and, and address something. We've all heard someone say, God won't give you something you can't handle. And I want to say very clearly this morning into the camera that is expressly false. That's not true. Every day, even every hour, we run into things that are bigger than us, that are too weighty for us to handle alone, that are too onerous, oppressive for us to take care of. And so this idea that God won't give you something you can't handle, it's a lie. If you're going to re take that same idea and reword it, you might word it this way. God will help you handle anything you've been given. God will help you handle it, but you can't handle everything that, that comes your way. <clears throat> it's a nice thought that God wouldn't give you something you can't handle. It's just not true. And one of the ways that God helps us handle the things that we've been given, even the things we can't handle, is by giving us one another, church. And so one of the ways God provides that help in these onerous weights comes in the, in the, into our lives by one another. So what does bearing a burden mean practically? It means you're going to walk with someone, you know, walk with another person through difficult seasons and situations, sharing the burden together. That's what the command means. Now this is more than, hey, I'll pray for you. Now that is part of it. We must pray for each other. That is a spiritual need that we have. We should not give up on that. We should not be lax in that. We ought to pray for one another. But there's more than that. This is about a complete sharing of the burden. So think about it this way. Physically, do you need a ride to your doctor's appointment? Emotionally, encouraging one another. Building one another up. Mentally, brainstorming problems. How do we solve this problem? And relationally, just being there. We are called the church to, to offer all-encompassing care to one another when things are onerous. What happens when we do this? We fulfill the law of Christ. This idea of the law of Christ is a new concept. Paul refers to it in other letters. This is his first time in Galatians talking about it. It really uh, points to the idea, we, we learned about this last time, I believe, maybe the time before, uh, this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, Paul is taking, he started Galatians by saying, the law, you cannot earn your righteousness by that, uh, that path. And so you must go to faith in Jesus Christ. And what we're learning in the practical part of Galatians is that, that as we follow in faith, there, there still is this outworking of, of good works. And so the law of Christ is just that, love your neighbor as yourself. And as we care for one another, as we lovingly serve one another, what happens? As we bear one another's burdens, this is how we fulfill the law of God. This is how we do it. Loving your neighbor as yourself is just that, bearing one another's burdens. 
So it's kind of a recap. As we grow deeper in our faith through that cycle, remember, learn, affirm, obey, learn, affirm, trust. As we go through that cycle and we, and we become more like Christ, and as we become more like Christ, we bear the fruit of the Spirit. And as we bear the fruit of the Spirit, what do we do? We love and care for people. And as we love and care for people, what do we do? We serve them and bear burdens with them. It's a natural outpouring. And so as we do this thing, we fulfill the law of Christ, is what Paul's saying. We get to verses 3 through 5, and they have to be taken as a single thought. And this is where Paul is telling you, like, uh, in the sense of how can you do this? How is it possible for you to bear one another's burdens? Why should you bear one another's burdens? Let's take a ver- first a look at verse 3. He says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So Paul, the, the basis of, of bearing one another's burdens is eroded if we have wrong thinking about who we are. As we think inaccurately about ourselves, we lose the ability to bear burdens. So in a sense, what Paul is getting at here is if he's, he's saying, if you don't have an accurate assessment of your current spiritual condition, you cannot bear one another's burdens and therefore you cannot fulfill the law of Christ. And he says it in this way, if you think you are something when you are actually nothing, you are deceived. This is referring back to verse 26 of chapter 5, the very last verse just before where we started studying today. Look at what this verse says. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. The idea here is if you have an inaccurate view, you either think you are better than someone, provoking them, or you are worse than someone, envying them. And Paul is saying that if either one of those views takes place, you will not be able to bear one another's burdens. And so what is the answer? How do we get away from this wrong thinking? Look at verse 4, the beginning of verse 4. Let each one test his own work. Paul wants us to examine ourselves. Now, this is not like, hey, how's it going? Kind of a general check-in. This is an exhaustive inventory. To test is an exhaustive inventory. Take a detailed list of what's in there, what's in you. And so what are we taking an inventory of? Our work, the products of our life. Think back to what we talked about, again, last week. The works of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit. I encourage you at the end of that sermon to take an inventory. Use those lists as diagnostic as to where you are at. Paul is doing the same thing here. He's saying you must take an assessment of your sin and an assessment of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Paul wants us to examine our lives and have an honest estimate of where we're at, where we're at. Why does he want us to do that? He says here in the last part of verse four, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. Uh, Paul's being a little tongue in cheek. We won't be boasting if we're honest about the, the inventory that we take. We're gonna be like, oh, I'm pretty great. No, as we look at our sins and we look at our fruit, we're gonna see what? The reality that we are sinners saved by grace. And this is a context here of of, of this. So why is he using the word boast? There's a context here. Think about what just happened. The, The Galatians were the victims of the Judaizers who came in and said, well, look how holy I am. (laughs) And look how unholy you are. They had just been affected deeply by the conceit of a legalist. 
And so what Paul is getting at is our honest assessment of our spiritual health. If it's not accurate, it won't be accurate when we compare ourselves to others. That's what he's trying to say. So if we're in that mode or we're trying to say, well, how do I match up to that person? How do I match up to that person? Well, I'm definitely not matched up to that person. If we use other people as the gauge for our goodness or our badness, we will not have an accurate view of ourselves. And then we cannot bear one another's burdens. He finishes in verse 5 this single thought by reminding us of a reality. And he says, for each will bear his own load. Now, He's sticking with this kind of carrying motif, but a load is different than a burden. Okay, a burden, an onerous weight, too much to handle. That's what a burden is. A load is simply um, uh, the wor- uh, it's, a, it's the right amount of cargo, if you will. All right, so a load is not a, an overbearing. It's what you've been given rightly for the, for the uh, container that it's in. And so what, what he's getting at here, what, what Paul's trying to say, one commentary says that he's saying that you are going to be, uh, each will have to bear his own load means you're going to have to be about the work that God has portioned to you to carry out. It's not your job to, to make sure, and you can't brag about how well your neighbor has done or brag about how bad your neighbor has done. You are called by God to do something, and it's only by that that you are judged. And so it's just that. He's calling our attention to the fact that at the end of time, Christian and non-Christian alike, we are going to be judged. Let's talk about this for a moment. At the end of time, what will, be, what will happen? Uh, every single thing, good and bad that we do, will be put on display. Will be put on display. Will be left laid bare. Judgment will be rendered. Rewards will be given. That's going to happen. Now, For those of us who are in Christ, this should not be a scary moment for us. This should not be a scary moment for us. Why? For those of you who are not in Christ, it ought to be. That's a real thing that's happening and it's coming. And there will be no rewards, okay? But but for us who are in Christ, why don't we need to fear this moment? For for starters, Romans 8, Romans 8, 1. For there is there now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our verdict... Because we are in Jesus Christ, at the end of time, as we come to this moment where our works are laid bare, even in our guilty moments, all of our sinful moments, what's happening? We will be found not guilty. Hopefully one of you just texted John Tyler an amen. Our verdict is not guilty because of Jesus Christ. And any reward that we might be given It does not belong to us. We cannot do good works apart from Christ. And so when we are rewarded for our works, we are rewarded for the good things we have done. Those rewards belong to Jesus Christ anyway. And as Revelation puts it, I love it. What happens? We throw our crowns down to the ground at the feet of Christ. And so at the end of all this, Christian, why don't we fear the end of time? Because at the end of time, our prize is Jesus Christ. And so the basis for bearing one another's burdens is humility, humility. When we have an accurate assessment of who we are, our spiritual health, what we do, what we have accomplished, the only result of that assessment is I am a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner saved by grace. 
And so a good quotation that I've used throughout my ministry, and I don't know who originated it, but it's not mine, about this idea is don't worry. You are much, much worse than you think. <laughs> but you are more loved than you could ever imagine. That's the, the balance here is we are more sinful than we really know, than we really admit, but the grace of Christ goes beyond that. And we are loved more than we can imagine. Now Paul's command and the basis for that command drives him to an illustration. He wants us to see what bearing one another's burdens looks like in action, practically. And so we go back to verse 1. He, he gives us an example. What is the burden that this person bears? It is the burden of sin. Read it with me. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any tr transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. What is happening? The, the, the example that Paul is giving is of someone who has committed a sin and been caught in that sin. And he wants us to understand this is a burden. It is a burden to sin. And so make no mistake. Make no mistake. Sin causes burden. It causes burden. And so anyone who is partaking in a behavior and their attitude is, I'm not hurting anyone. I want to say in my best modern language, that's malarkey. Sin causes damage. Sin has destructive, deep destructive power. And so the burden of one who is caught in sin is great. They have pain. Those around them have pain. They have caused pain. There is destruction. And so what is the method of bearing this burden with this person? Gently restore. You who are spiritual, those who are spiritually mature, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Restore is a great word. It's a great word picture. Restore means it's like a torn garment or a smashed vase or piece of pottery. And, and the, the idea of restoring is to sew it back together or glue it back together to its original form, carefully putting the pieces back where they belong. So that's the idea here is in this gentleness, the spirit of slow, kind patience, slowly putting the smashed situation, the lives, the lives that have been affected deeply by this sin back together slowly. That's the method that Paul gives. That's what Paul wants us to do when people are caught in sin. Restore them gently. Now, I think it's interesting that this last piece here, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. We might think, well, does that mean we'll be pulled into the sin of that person? We'll be pulled into the sin that they were caught in? I think that is potentially the meaning, but I think there's a deeper meaning here that is more likely considering the context. You see, the challenge for us when people sin is to do what? <laughs> when people sin in the church specifically, especially big ones, right? We want to lash out. We want to have bitterness. We want them to pay the price. There's division. And if you think about those words I just said, they may sound familiar. They sound a lot like the relational sins found in the list of the works of the flesh. And so what Paul is getting at here is you need to keep watch because when someone sins, when someone is caught in sin in the church community, 
our temptation is to go to our own sinful nature and react from that. In fact, the word tempted here means to um, reveal, ascertain the nature of someone. And so what Paul is saying is not necessarily don't join in the sin that they are caught in. That's very unlikely. What, what is more likely is that when we find them caught in sin, rather than restoring them gently as Christ would have us, we want to make them pay. And that, that feeling to make them pay comes from our flesh. So the sinful reaction, that initial reaction, we must be careful to avoid it. Paul's very practical. He's very practical. And the only way we can do that, the only way we can come to the person who's caught in sin and, and, and react gently to them and restore them is through a spirit of what? Humility. It only makes sense. And so if we boil down verses 1 through 5, what's the key ingredient to sharing burdens? It's humility. We must have humility. Only when we see ourselves as sinners saved by grace, only when we see the rest of the church as the same. We are all just sinners saved by grace. That is the platform from which we can lend a hand to our brothers and sisters with the bags of rocks in their pews. You see? We all carry a burden in here, but it's in our humility with one another that we can bear up under those burdens together. However, humility is only half of the equation. Humility between people is half the equation. In verses 6 through 10, we have the same template. Paul gives a command, he gives a basis for that command, and he gives a case, uh, two cases in this, in this uh, particular portion of Scripture that, that exemplify the command, what it looks like. In this case, it's, it, the answer to the question is, Okay, so how do we do good? How do we continue to do good? The answer, again, is humility, but it's from a different perspective. Let's take a look rather quickly. The command we find in verse 9, let us not grow weary of doing good. Let us not grow weary of doing good. What is doing good in this passage? It is following the, the law of Christ, serving one another in love. Don't grow weary of doing that. Everything we do that is good has to do with serving another. Look at the fruit of the Spirit. And so what is doing good? Following the law of Christ. And this command comes with a promise. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Those words mean in a very specific time ordained by God, we will harvest the fruits of the good works that we do. And this should be part of our motivation for doing good to others. But there's further motivation here too. So the basis the main basis for doing good and not giving up comes in verses 7 and 8. He says in verse 7, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. To reinterpret that, he's saying, don't be deluded. Don't be crazy. God will not be looked down upon. Think about what mocking is. Ha, 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 look at that person, right? Ha, 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 I can't, but, you know, it's looking down your nose in contempt at someone. And so God won't be treated like that. God will not be looked down upon. He will not be looked at as if he is less than. God is not less than you. God is God. And what has God said? Second part of verse 7. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. You cannot live your life by the flesh as if mocking God and, and expect to have a, a reaping, a harvest of good in your life. 
In fact, verse 8 spells it out very clearly. For the one who sows in his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. That means to tear something apart element by element until it no longer exists. But the one who sows what? But to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This is the retelling of what we covered last week. That your life will bear the fruit of your focus. If your focus is to satiate your flesh, what will you reap? Corruption. But if your focus is to, to follow carefully the teaching and the guiding of the Holy Spirit, what will you reap? Now and forever abundant life. That word sow there means to invest. And so if you're investing in your flesh, what will happen? It says corruption. If you're investing in the work of the Spirit, what will happen? You will reap goodness. And so Paul gives two examples of this. So we are to not, not grow weary of doing good. Why? Because God will not be mocked. Our humility before God is imperative to serve one another. Not only must we be humble amongst each other, we must be humble before God, understanding who he is. He is not less than us. He is the eternal God of the universe. And as we, as we follow this thinking and as we obey this command, he gives two examples. The first one is awkward. Okay, here we go. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. What's verse six talking about? It's talking about paying your pastor. <laughs> So that's good. I'm just going to go. All right, there we go. Uh, no. Uh, so listen, certainly it involves giving money to the pastor, meeting his needs financially, but it's more than that. It's all good things. All good things. So allow me to demonstrate what this means by sharing a personal note. I want to say, Grace Presbyterian Church, thank you. Thank you from the Kents. Thank you for my family. Why? Because yes, uh, uh, it is great that I have money to pay my bills. So that's nice. Thank you for paying me. But more than that, you all share all good things with us as a family. Have confidence, church, that, that you share all good things with me and my family. You share your friendship with us. You open your homes and your families to us. You, you, you share your burdens with us. Yes, that is part of all good things. Sharing your bags of rocks and you sharing my and my family's bags of rocks is a blessing to me and to my family. You seek opportunities to, to love us. And I want to just praise the Lord and thank you for doing that. And so uh, I'm thankful, too, that it's not only pastors that he uses as an example of humility and doing good in this passage. We, all go, we also go down to verse 10. Go down to verse 10 with me. And so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good first to everyone. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. So this is, there's a balancing principle here. I love this idea of our opportunities in this verse. It's a balancing principle for reaching out and doing good to your neighbors in the world. So here's the balancing principle. Opportunities is the word. And what that means is don't force the past, to use a, a sports analogy, don't force the past. Don't force it on them, don't nag them, but also don't miss the opening. Seek opportunities, be around, be present, be ready. And when an opportunity shows itself, take it. To summarize the, the balancing principle, it's this. Listen, don't be a creep, <laughs> but also don't sit around and do nothing. There's a, there's a balance here. Don't, 
Don't be weird about it, but at the same time, don't let opportunities pass you by. And he finishes verse 10 with a very interesting emphasis. He says, and especially to those who are of the household of faith, speaking of doing good. So yes, we ought to be looking for opportunities to serve our neighbors. Looking for those opportunities, not missing them, doing good. What Paul is saying here is, listen, to an even greater extent, that's the literal translation of those words, to a greater extent, look for opportunities to serve those in the body of Christ, you who are in the body of Christ. Church, we're called. We're called very clearly here and in other places to take care of one another. We're called to take care of one another. And so the question to, that we started with, that you so cleverly asked, what can be done about our burdens? What can we do about this? Yes, we have them. We all have them. What can we do about it? The answer is share them in humility with one another. Humility before one another and humility before God. So to summarize this, this whole passage, I want you to hear this, church. Humility reaps a harvest of what? Shared burdens and abundant life. Humility reaps a harvest of shared burdens and abundant life. And that's how we ought to live with one another, church. In this time of separation, I know it's weird, we got to be caring for one another, sharing burdens, sharing anxieties, sharing fears. Not only each other's and listening, but our own and sharing. We need to take care of each other, church. I want to extend an invitation to those of you that are not currently part of a family of God. Maybe you've been, it's been a while since you've been here with us. Maybe you were part of our church or another church and it's been a while since you've been back. I want to say, uh, come back. If you've been absent, come back. And to those of you who have either never been or you were burned a long time ago and you, you said, I'll never darken the door of another church, I want to tell you this. A church that is following the teachings of Christ, a church that is humble before one another and humble before God will care for each other very well. They'll do that. That's what Christ intends for the church to be like. And so my invitation to you is to come and be cared for. Come and be cared for. When this virus settles and we can leave our homes again and we can be together again, come to church. Come. We'll welcome you in. Let me pray for us. Lord, it is strange to be estranged. It's strange to talk about care and bearing burdens when we can't even give each other a hug or shake one another's hand or be at each other's homes or, or whatever the restrictions may be where we are, Lord. It is strange, but there's something familiar about the reality that we live in. We may be far apart, just like we are from our brothers and sisters in other countries as they worship the Lord too. We may be far apart, but there's one thing that will never change. We are a family of God for eternity. And not even a virus, not even a quarantine, not even a stay-at-home order, not even a shelter in place can keep us from knowing and living that reality. And so I pray, even in this moment, that you would draw us together and help us to, in humility, care for one another, to bear one another's burdens. Heal our land 
Keep us close. We, we love you so much, Lord. Thank you for all you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.